This is Mary Christopher, and this is Storytime. Tonight we're reading Chapter 3 of The Sword in the Stone, written by T.H. White, and it's a wonderful story. I think it's wonderful. Um, I think it's exceptionally well written as well. It's about um, Arthur and Merlin's relationship when Arthur was a young man growing up and Merlin was his tutor. So last week we read chapters one and two and that took a little more than an hour. These chapters are long so this evening I'm going to read chapter three um, and we'll see how that goes. And if, if we need to, I'll, uh, during, during December, I'll read an extra chapter during the week or something, just so we won't be reading The Sword and the Stone in June. <laughs> okay. Great. Chapter 3. The boy slept well in the woodland, in the woodland nest where he had laid himself down in that kind of thin but refreshing sleep which people have when they begin to lie out of doors at first he only dipped below the surface of sleep and skimmed along like a salmon in shallow water so close to the surface that he fancied himself in air he thought himself awake when he was already asleep. He saw the stars above his face whirling on their silent and sleepless axis and the leaves of the trees rustling against them. And he heard small changes in the grass. These little noises of footsteps and soft fringed wing beats and stealth, stealthy bellies drawn over the grass blades rattling against the bracken at first frightened or interested him so that he moved to see what they were but never saw then soothed him so that he no longer cared to see what they were but trusted them to be themselves and finally left him altogether as he swam down deeper and deeper nuzzling into the scented turf into the warm ground, into the unending waters under the earth. It had been difficult to go to sleep in the bright summer moonlight, but once he was there, it was not difficult to stay. The sun came early, causing him to turn over in protest, but in going to sleep, he had learned to vanquish light, and now the light would not rewake him. It was nine o'clock, five hours after daylight before he rolled over, opened his eyes, and was awake at once. He was hungry. The wart had heard about people who lived on berries, but this did not seem practical at the moment, because it was July and there were none. He found two wild strawberries and ate them greedily. They tasted nicer than anything, so he wished there were more. 
Then he wished it was April so he could find some bird's eggs and eat those, or that he had not lost his goose heart, heart cully, so that the hawk could catch him a rabbit, which he would cook by rubbing two sticks together like the base Indian. But he had lost Cully, or he would not have lost himself, and probably the sticks would not have lighted in any case. He decided that he could not have gone more than three or four miles from home, and that was the best thing he could and the best thing he could do would be to sit still and listen. Then he might hear the noise of the haymakers if he were lucky with the wind, and he could hearken his way to the castle by that. What he did hear was a faint clanking noise, which made him think that King Pellinore must be after the questing beast again, close by. Only the noise was so regular and single in intention that it made him think of King Pellinore doing some special action. With great patience and concentration, trying to scratch his back without taking off his armor, for instance, he went toward the noise. There was a clearing in the forest, and in this clearing there was a snug cottage built of stone. It was a cottage, although the wart could not notice at notice this at the time, which was divided into two bits. The main bit was the hall, or every purpose room, which was high because it extended from floor to roof. And this room had a fire on the floor whose smoke came out eventually from a hole in the thatch of the roof. The other half of the cottage was divided into two rooms by a horizontal floor which made the top half into a bedroom and study while the bottom half served for larder, storeroom, stable, and barn. A white donkey lived in this downstairs room and a ladder led to the one upstairs. There was a well in front of the cottage, and the metallic notes which the wart had heard were caused by a very old gentleman who was drawing water out of it by means of a handle and chain. Clank, clank, clank went the chain until the bucket hit the lip of the well. And drat the whole thing, said the old gentleman. You would think that after all these years of study, you could do better for yourself than a by Our Lady well with a by Our Lady bucket, whatever the by Our Lady cost. Buy this and buy that, added the old gentleman, heaving his bucket out of the well with a malevolent glance. Why can't they get us the electric light and company's water? He was dressed in a flowing gown with fur tippets, which had the signs of the zodiac embroidered over it with various cabalistic signs, such as triangles with eyes in them, queer crosses, leaves of trees, 
bones of birds and animals, and a planetarium whose stars shone like bits of looking glass with the sun on them. He had a pointed hat like a dunce's cap, or like the headgear worn by the ladies of that time, except that the ladies were accustomed to have a bit of veil floating from the top of it. He also had a wand of lignum vita, which he had laid down in the grass beside him, and a pair of horn-rimmed spectacles like those of King Pellinore. They were unusual spectacles, being without earpieces, but shaped rather like scissors or like the antennae of a tarantula wasp. Excuse me, sir, said the wart, but can you tell me the way to Sir Hector's castle, if you don't mind? The aged gentleman put down his bucket and looked at him. Your name would be the wart. Yes, sir, please, sir. My name, said the old man, is Merlin. How do you do? How do? When these formalities had been concluded, the wart had leisure to look at him more closely. The magician was staring at him with a kind of unwinking and benevolent curiosity, which made him feel that it would not be at all rude to stare back, no ruder than it would be to stare at one of his guardian's cows, who happened to be thinking about his personality, as she leaned her head over a gate. Merlin had a long white beard and and long white mustaches, which hung down on either side of his beard. Close inspection showed that he was far from clean. It was not that he had dirty fingernails or anything like that, but some large bird seemed to have been nesting in his hair. The wart was familiar with the nests of Sparhawk and Goss, the crazy conglomeration of sticks and oddments which had been taken over from squirrels or crows, and he knew how the twigs and the tree foot were splashed with white mutes, old bones, muddy feathers and castings. This was the impression which he got from Merlin. <coughs> the old man was streaked with droppings over his shoulders among the stars and triangles of his gown and a large spider was slowly lowering itself from the tip of his hat as he gazed slowly and slow and slowly blinked at the little boy in front of him he had a worried expression, as though he were trying to remember some name which began with Choi, but which was pronounced in quite a different way, possibly Menzies or was it Dalziel? His mild blue eyes, very big and round, under the tarantula spectacles, gradually filmed and clouded over as he gazed at the boy. 
And then he turned his head away with a resigned expression, as though it was all too much for him after all. Do you like peaches? Very much indeed, said the wart, and his mouth began to water so that it was full of sweet, soft liquid. They're scarcely in season, said the old man reprovingly, and he walked off in the direction of the cottage. The wart followed after, since this was the simplest thing to do, and offered to carry the bucket, which seemed to please Merlin, who gave it to him, and waited while he counted the keys, while he muttered and mislaid them and dropped them in the grass. Finally, when they had got their way into the black and white home, with as much trouble as if they were burgling it, he climbed up the ladder after his host and found himself in the upstairs room. It was the most marvelous room that he had ever been in. There was a real cork and drill hanging from the rafters, very lifelike and horrible, with glass eyes and scaly tail stretched out behind it. When its master came into the room, it winked one eye in salutation, although it was stuffed. There were thousands of brown books in leather bindings, some chained to the book, to the bookshelves, and others propped against each other as if they had had too much to drink and did not really trust themselves. These gave out a smell of must and solid brownness which was most secure. Then there were stuffed birds, popinjays and maggot, pies and kingfishers and peacocks with all their feathers but two, and tiny birds like beetles and reputed phoenix which smelt of incense and cinnamon. It could not have been a real phoenix because there's only one of these at a time. Over by the mantelpiece, there was a fox's mask with Grafton, Buckingham to Daventry, two hours, 20 minutes, written under it. And also a 40-pound salmon with awe, 43 men, bulldog, written under it. And a very lifelike ballast with Crowhurst otter hounds in Roman print. There were several boar's tusks and the claws of tigers and libards mounted in symmetrical patterns and a big head of Ovis poli, six live grass snakes in a kind of aquarium, some nests of the solitary wasp nicely set up in a glass cylinder, an ordinary beehive whose inhabitants went in and out of the window unmolested, two young hedgehogs in cotton wool, a pair of badgers which immediately began to cry, yeek, 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 in loud voices as soon as the magician appeared. Twenty boxes which contained stick caterpillars and sixth of the puss moth, 
and even an oleander that was worth sixpence, all feeding on the appropriate leaves, a gun case with all sorts of weapons which had not been invented for half a thousand years, a rod box ditto, a chest of drawers full of salmon flies which had been tied by Merlin himself, another chest whose drawers were labeled Mandragora, Mandrake, Old Man's Beard, etc. A bunch of turkey feathers and goose quills for making pens, an astrolabe, twelve pairs of boots, a dozen purse nets, three dozen rabbit wires, twelve corkscrews, some ants' nests between two glass plates, ink bottles of every possible color from red to violet, darning needles, a gold medal for being the best scholar, Winchester, four or five recorders, a nest, a, a nest of field mice, all alive, oh, two skulls, plenty of cut glass, Venetian glass, Bristol glass, a bottle of mastic varnish, some satsuma, china, and some clossone, the 14th century edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, marred as it was by the sensationalism of the popular plates, two paint boxes, one oil, one watercolor, three globes of the known world, a few fossils, the stuffed head of a camel leopard, some glass retorts with cauldrons, Bunsen burners, etc., and a complete set of cigarette cards depicting wild fowl by Peter Scott. Whew! Merlin took off his pointed hat when he came into this chamber, because it was too high for the roof, and immediately there was a scamper in one of the dark corners and a flap of soft wings, and a tawny owl was sitting on the black skullcap which protected the top of his head. Oh, what a lovely owl, cried the wart. But when he went up to it and held out his hand, the owl grew half as tall again, stood up as stiff as a poker, closed its eyes so that there was only the smallest slit to peep through, as you are in the habit of doing when told, when told to shut your eyes at hide-and-seek, and said in a doubtful voice, There is no owl. Then it shut its eyes entirely and looked the other way. It is only a boy, said Merlin. There is no boy said the owl, hopefully, without turning round. The wart was so startled by finding that the owl could talk that he forgot his manners and came closer still. At this, the bird became so nervous that it made a mess on Merlin's head. The whole room was quite white with droppings. Anne flew off to perch on the farthest tip of the cork and drill's tail, out of reach. We see so little company, 
explained the magician, wiping his head with half a worn-out pair of pajamas, which he kept only for that purpose, that Archimedes is a little shy of strangers. Come, Archimedes, I want you to meet a friend of mine called Wart. Here he held out his hand to the owl, who came waddling like a goose along the corkendrill's back. He waddled with this rolling gait so as to keep his tail from being damaged and hopped down to Merlin's finger with every sign of reluctance. Hold out your finger and put it behind his legs. No, lift it up under his train. When the wart had done this, Merlin moved the owl gently backward so that the boy's finger pressed against its legs from behind. And it either had to step back on the finger or get pushed off its balance altogether. It stepped back. The wart stood there delighted while the furry feet held tight on his finger and the sharp claws prickled his skin. Say, how do you do properly, said Merlin. I will not, said Archimedes, looking the other way and holding tight. Oh, he is lovely, said the wart again. Have you had him long? Archimedes has stayed with me ever since he was small. Indeed, since he had a tiny head like a chicken's. I wish he could talk to me. Perhaps if you were to give him this mouse here politely, he might learn to know you better. Merlin took a dead mouse out of his skullcap. I always keep them there, and worms too for fishing. I find it most convenient and handed the mouse to the wart, who held it out rather gingerly toward Archimedes. The nutty brown curved beak looked as if it were capable of doing damage. But Archimedes looked closely at the mouse, blinked at the wart, moved nearer on the finger, closed his eyes, and leaned forward. He stood there with closed eyes and expression and an expression on his face as if he were saying grace. Then, with the absurdest sideways nibble, took the morsel so gently that he would not have broken a soap bubble. He remained leaning forward with closed eyes with the mouth suspended from his beak as if he were not sure what to do with it. Then he lifted his right foot. He was right-handed, though people say only men are, and took hold of the mouse. He held it up like a boy holding a stick of rock or a constable with his truncheon. Looked at it, nibbled its tail. He turned it round so that it was head first, for the wart had offered it the wrong way round and gave one gulp. 
He looked round at the company with the tail hanging out of the corner of his mouth as much as to say, I wish you would not all stare at me so. He turned his head away, politely swallowed the tail, scratched his sailor's beard with his left toe, and began to ruffle out his feathers. Let him alone, said Merlin. Perhaps he does not want to be friends with you until he knows what you're like. With owls, it is never easy come, easy go. Perhaps he will sit on my shoulder, said the wart, and with that he instinctively lowered his hand so that the owl, who liked to be as high as possible, ran up the slope and stood shyly beside his ear. Now, breakfast, said Merlin. The wart saw that the most perfect breakfast was laid out neatly for two on a table before the window. There were peaches, there were also melons, strawberries, and cream, rusks, brown trout piping hot, grilled perch, which were much nicer, chicken deviled enough to burn one's mouth out, kidneys and mushrooms on toast, fricassee, curry, and a choice of boiling coffee or best chocolate made with cream in large cups. Have some mustard, said the magician, when they got to the kidneys. The mustard pot got up and walked over to his plate on thin silver legs that waddled like the owls. Then it uncurled its handles, and one handle lifted its lid with exaggerated courtesy, while the other helped him to a generous spoonful. Oh, I love the mustard pot, cried the wart. Wherever did you get it? At this, the pot beamed all over its face and began to strut a bit. Merlin wrapped it on the head with a teaspoon so that it sat down and shut up at once. It's not a bad pot, he said grudgingly, only it is inclined to give itself airs. The wart was so much impressed by the kindness of the old man, and particularly by the lovely things which he possessed, that he hardly liked to ask him personal questions. It seemed politer to sit still and to speak when he was spoken to. But Merlin did not speak much, and when he did, when he did speak, it was never in questions so that the wart had little opportunity for conversation. At last, his curiosity got the better of him, and he asked something which had been puzzling him for some time. Would you mind if I ask you a question? It is what I am for. How did you know to set breakfast for two? The old gentleman leaned back in his chair and lighted an enormous meerschaum pipe. Good gracious, he breathes fire, thought the wart, who had never heard of tobacco before he was ready to reply. Then he looked puzzled, took off his skull cap, three mice fell out, 
and scratched in the middle of his bald head. Have you ever tried to draw in a looking glass, he asked. I don't think I have. Looking glass, said Merlin, holding out his hand. Immediately, there was a tiny lady's vanity glass in his hand. Not that kind, you fool, he said angrily. I want one big enough to shave in. The vanity glass vanished, and in its place there was a shaving mirror about a foot square. He then demanded pencil and paper in quick succession, got an unsharpened pencil in the morning post, sent them back, got a fountain pen with no ink in it and six reams of brown paper suitable for parcels, sent them back, flew into a passion in which he said, by our lady quite often, and ended up with a carbon pencil and some cigarette papers, which he said would have to do. He put one of the papers in front of the glass and made five dots. Now, he said, I want you to join those five dots up to make a W, looking only in the glass. The wart took the pen and tried to do as he was bid. Well, it is not bad, said the magician doubtfully. And in a way, it does look a bit like an M. Then he fell into a reverie, stroking his beard, breathing fire and staring at the paper. About the breakfast. Ah, yes. How did I know to set breakfast for two? That was why I showed you the looking glass. Now, ordinary people are born forwards in time. If you understand what I mean, and nearly everything in the world goes forward too. This makes it quite easy for the ordinary people to live, just as it would be easy to join those five dots into a W if you were allowed to look at them forwards instead of backwards and inside out. But I, unfortunately, was born at the wrong end of time, and I have to live backwards from in front while surrounded by a lot of people living forwards from behind. Some people call this having second sight. He stopped talking and looked at the wart in an anxious way. Have I told you this before? No, we only met about half an hour ago. So little time to pass, said Merlin, and a big tear ran down to the end of his nose. He wiped it off with his pajamas and added anxiously, Am I going to tell it to you again? I do not know, said the wart, unless you have not finished telling me yet. You see, one gets confused with time. When it is like that, all one's tenses get muddled, for one thing. If you know what is going to happen to people and not what has happened to them, it makes it difficult to prevent it happening. 
but you don't want it to have happened. If you see what I mean, like drawing in a mirror. The wart did not quite see, but was just going to say that he was sorry for Merlin if these things made him unhappy, when he felt a curious sensation at his ear. Don't jump, said the old man, just as he was going to do so, and the wart sat still. Archimedes, who had been standing forgotten on his shoulder all this time, was gently touching himself against him. His beak was right against the lobe of the ear, with which its bristles made to tickle, and suddenly a soft, hoarse voice whispered, How do you do? So that it sounded right inside his head. Oh, owl, cried the wart, forgetting about Merlin's troubles instantly. Look, he has decided to talk to me. The wart gently leaned his head against the smooth feathers, and the tawny owl, taking the rim of his ear in its beak, quickly nibbled right around it with the smallest nibbles. I shall call him Archie. I trust you will do nothing of the sort, exclaimed Merlin instantly. In a stern and angry voice, and the owl withdrew to the furthest corner of his shoulder. Is it wrong? You might as well call me wool or oily, said the owl sourly, and have done with it. Or bubbles, it added in a bitter voice. Merlin took the wart's hand and said kindly, You are young and do not understand these things, but you will learn that owls are the most courteous, single-hearted, and faithful creatures living. You must never be familiar, rude or vulgar with them, or make them look ridiculous. Their mother was Athene, the goddess of wisdom, and although they are often ready to play the buffoon to amuse you, such conduct is the prerogative of the truly wise. No owl can possibly be called Archie. I am sorry, owl, said the wart. Oh, and I am sorry, boy, said the owl. I can see that you spoke in ignorance and I bitterly regret that I should have been so petty as to take offense where none was intended. The owl really did regret it, and looked so remorseful that Merlin had to put on a cheerful manner and change the conversation. Well, said he, now that we have finished breakfast, I think it is high time that we should all three Find our way back to Sir Hector. Excuse me for a moment, he added as an afterthought, and turning round to the breakfast things, he pointed a knobbly finger at them and said in a stern voice, Wash up. At this, all the china and cutlery scrambled down off the table. The cloth emptied the crumbs out the window, and the napkins folded themselves up. All ran off 
down the ladder to where Merlin had left the bucket. And there was so much noise and yelling as if a lot of children had been let out of school. Merlin went to the door and shouted, Mind, nobody is to get broken. But his voice was entirely drowned in shrill squeals, splashes, and cries of, My, it is cold. I shan't stay in long. Look out, you'll break me. Or, come on, let's duck the teapot. Are you really coming all the way home with me? asked the wart, who could hardly believe the good news. Why not? How else can I be your tutor? At this, the wart's eyes grew rounder and rounder until they were about as big as the owl's whose was sitting on his shoulder, and his face got redder and redder, and a breath seemed to gather itself beneath his heart. My! exclaimed the wart, while his eyes sparkled with excitement at the discovery. I must have been on a quest. And that is the end of chapter three. I hope you enjoyed that. Have a wonderful evening, a wonderful sleep, a wonderful week. Um, I'll be reading again next week on Sunday evening. I hope you enjoyed this and take care of yourself.